I am Wendell B. Harris Jr., and you are listening to The World is Wrong Podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about Wild Indian. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I got that right. Anyway, welcome to The World is Wrong. An extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andros Jones. And I'm one of your hosts, and my name is Brian Connolly. And together we are here to round out our weeks of Noscaring. Yeah. Celebrating one of my picks for Noscarist film of the year, Wild Indian from director... Lyle Mitchell Corbine Jr., first-time writer-director. And then he, he's directed shorts and other things, but this is his first feature, a film that I just sort of stumbled across. I didn't really, I didn't see any promotion for it. Me neither. Uh, just sort of found it in a back alley somewhere. I was like, oh, check this out, and was blown away. Turned you on to it. Yeah. You had a similar Also response. blown away. This is this is prime Oscar material. This movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so why don't we just play a clip from the film and then we'll come back and talk about it. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. How are you, Mrs. Wolf? I was sorry to hear about your condition here. Seems like you know who I am. I do. I know that Teddo was spreading lies about me. I got cops banging on my door. It isn't fun. That's on you. Well, I'm here to clear my name with you. I felt like you needed to see in person that I am not who Teddo said I was. In fact, I was a friend of your son. I was as shocked as anyone that he disappeared. I only know what Teddo told me. What did he say? He shot my boy in the face. He didn't feel anything. You buried him like a fucking dog. Teddo was mentally ill. It would be a mistake to believe anything that he had to say. The guy was in and out of prison for 25 years. That don't mean anything. Yes, it does. It means everything. I'm somebody now. The only thing Teddo ever did was start fights and sell drugs and kill your fucking son. 
in there. Why should I be punished for your transgressions? You're the reason James is dead. I've seen him coming to school, all bruised up, crying around like all the other native kids. People used to say you just forgot him somewhere because you were drunk. That ain't the truth. It is true. I was just like him. Do you know who my parents were? Yeah. You do. It's not my fault Indians are a bunch of fucking liars and narcissists. We are the descendants cowards. Everyone worthwhile died fighting. Wild Indian is a native noir, the story of a murder on the reservation that unfolds as the tale of generational trauma through the lives of Makwa and Teto. Makwa who pulled the trigger, Teto who helped Makwa cover it up as children. Makwa is now Michael, married to Kate Bosworth, working for Jesse Eisenberg, and there is something almost chameleon streetish about mm-hmm. his life as a successful token in the white world. But it's a dark film, as befits a noir, with a strain of satire that I feel like reveals itself on multiple watches perhaps similarly to a film like The Believer that is not a comedy, but has a very knowing sense of humor. I'm putting heavy quotes around that about dark things that just comes from an intimacy with that uh, material. That's, that's Wild Indian. It's a, uh, it's a really powerful watch. We're going to be talking about how it is. And if you're about to ask me how the world is wrong about this film, I think it's just simply that it that it hasn't received Anything. any promotion <laughs> as far as I'm aware. Uh, how did you find out about this movie? Well, like I said, I I, uh, I frequent some dark alleys in the uh, <laughs> on the cinematic internet, and occasionally, you know, just things flow through, flow past my uh, my window in a certain way, and I'll and Sometimes they grab me in a film. Like, I am I think listeners to the podcast may know, may have gathered that I am particularly interested in cinema that either, that explores the indigenous people of North America and their experience in ways that are less obvious or m- more honestly coming from the people in that world and from native voices from indigenous voices and this film just just snuck up on me i saw the title i thought oh okay well i'll check this out and at every turn it 
delivered a sort of, that has a there's a Coen Brothers kind of feeling to some of it that that's where I got the comedy yeah. like there's this midwestern sort of stoic point of view on tragic events and just like a, the weird there's weird moments of comedy that come from uh, Michael uh, slash Makwa's yeah. yeah. experience with Jesse Eisenberg yes. and, uh, as his boss. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a, a, there's a scene in a hospital where, uh, where he is very cruel to a woman in a hospital bed that made me think of bad Lieutenant port call new Orleans, the scene yeah. with Nicholas cage and the old ladies and that, in that yeah. scene. Um, not a funny movie. I don't and like these are the if the humor is very bleak, but you could also feel like there's something about making a bleak movie like this. There's something that I can feel the director leaning into the machinery of the movie he's created. He has this very stoic main character. Let's let's talk maybe let's walk through the film a little bit because my description kind of leaves out a lot. And uh we're going to spoil some things, so definitely watch this first. Like, uh, it's, I was able to find it on Stars, So go to Stars, watch Wild Indian, then come back and listen to this, because there was a few little, you know, twists and turns in here, because we are in kind of noir territory. So watch, yeah. watch the movie, because we're going to spoil it. <laughs> so one thing about this film is it's bookended by a story that takes place in the... Post European invasion of the North Americas with an Ojibwe man who gets sick and wanders west. And it looks like he has smallpox. Mm-hmm. And we see this native man trudging through the wilderness. And I'm sorry, I, I, it's so funny. When we were initially going to do this, I was really thinking of it in terms of Old Henry. They both start. Both movies start off with the this with na- with a person alone in nature, and in this case, it's this uh, Ojibwe man wandering west with smallpox all over his face and speaking a a voiceover, and then we immediately cut to the 1980s and we're following these uh, one particular native kid played by Phoenix Wilson as the young Makwa, and he is a really intense young actor uh oh yeah <laughs> very, from the second you see him he is like there's just something off and if you see pictures of him he's a handsome you know young actor and the feeling when you're watching it is they found just some really messed up kid and put him in this movie but uh that's a that's a great performance and we follow him and his best friend the young Teto, played by Julian Gopal, who seems like a much more well-balanced and down-to-earth kid who kind of is taking care of the young Makwa character. He's like the only one who will be his friend. We learn that he is being abused by his, I don't know if it's his father. I think it's his mom's boyfriend is that you get you kind of the sense you get. Did you get that sense as well? For Makwa? Yeah. I thought that was his dad, but I, I, I couldn't I couldn't tell. I, th- I read that as his father, but I could be okay. wrong. Okay. <laughs> so 
something about the way that the mom was portrayed made me think that it was like he had the sense of being betrayed by her for this new guy. But again, mm. uh, point is, he's there's this kid. We're introduced to his world on these multiple levels of abuse. We still have this Ojibwe man with his smallpox given to him by, you know, by white settlers as a, an ancient strain of trauma and abuse. And then we have this modern, very present strain of abuse, which is this father figure beating up the, the young Makwa and teaching him violence while uh and while he's at school and just having to hide his having to hide his blows and interestingly another connection with old henry scott hayes plays the catholic priest in wild indian he also plays the sort of mysterious wounded outlaw in the film old henry so he's some some more connective tissue between these films and you see that the Makwa character, Teto, is teaching him how to fire a, a, a rifle for hunting and for shooting targets. But in a moment of blandly rendered violence, Makwa shoots a kid that he is sort of, we've seen him eyeing weirdly, mostly because the kid seems like he has a pretty good life in as compared to Makwa. The girl that Makwa likes likes this kid. Uh, we see Makwa looking in on his house and he's has a sort of has, has a loving relationship with his mother. And he just shoots this kid. And let's let's stop here for a second. I've watched it twice. You've watched it once. Do you want to talk about your experience of that scene? Uh, it's a little confusing at first because you don't really know who he shot exactly. Like at first, I thought that one of the two friends shot one of them. I was just like, kind of like, who? Wait, who's got shot? And it's just done kind of in the way of like someone would shoot an animal in the woods. You know, like it's not. There's nothing ceremonious about it. There's nothing big about it. It just kind of happens. It's a very cold death. You know, and then. That it just it kind of comes out of nowhere. You don't because ex- you really expect for the first half hour of this movie that he's going to kill this guy abusing him, it, like his dad or mom's boyfriend, or whatever. You think like it's going to lead to that is going to be where the noirish elements seep in or the big secret, but instead it's like this total, uh, you know, unrelated to the drama <laughs> character in a way, uh, and so it's really it's really surprising <laughs> when it happens. You're like, oh, shit, I didn't expect them to just kill some other kid. And then you really think he's going to keep going and kill Teddo because Teddo gets really scared and he's hiding because Teddo just sort of has the right reaction of like, oh, this is terrible. What the hell is going on? I need to get away from this. And so you think, oh, is this going to be this the second kid who's going to die? But a much worse thing happens to Teddo than dying. He has to live, <laughs> live with this secret <laughs> his whole life. Uh, which is yeah. worse than death. Uh, and then that kind of kickstarts what the second part of the movie, which is these two characters dealing with the secret of kill. Cause they kill the kid. They bury him unmarked. And basically mock was like, you can never tell anyone this happened. Like, this is a secret. Like if you tell people like your cut, cause there's Tedo and mock were cousins. 
It's like, if you tell me, like, your cousin goes to jail forever, like, I'm done. And just like, I just, you know, I didn't mean to. I shot him, whatever. Like, we just need to, this is just between the two of us. And they kind of make a deal. And then that's, and then we kind of, soon after that, cut to, you know, like, 40 years later. 35 years later. And the way, the way we get into the modern world is great. (laughs) And I feel this is when some of the humor comes in. Is it okay if I'm explaining this part a bit? Yeah. Uh, yeah, go for it's it. It's like you cut very guys like you have this like this first this part of you know in the past this guy with smallpox, then you have this part in the 80s which feels like a very like t- like hor- like the brutal drama. And then you cut to a beautiful sunny golf course and you see a guy playing golf like and usually your mind goes to like this is a privileged man playing golf. And uh you basically then were following Makwa now, you know, in his, you know, 40s. As Michael. Now he's Michael. As Michael. He's changed his name to Michael. He's playing golf. He has a beautiful blonde wife played by Kate Bosworth. They have a child. They live in this sort of like very Ikea looking modern like condo. I don't even think it's a house. It just looks like a fancy condo or something. Maybe it's a house. And then he just works sort of I, I like in charge of some kind of one of those big companies that does dealings with things that you don't quite understand. <laughs> There's a lot of merging and like the meeting and this client and he, Jesse Eisenberg works with him. And there's this amazing scene where Jesse Eisenberg wants to talk work and Michael just wants to talk about like, is my, is my braid too long? Is my ponytail too long? Like, should I make this shorter? And he can't stop talking about it. And Jesse Eisenberg's character, Jerry, very confused as to why this man's obsessing over his braid. Um. <laughs> well, can I actually, let me jump in a little bit, because that's, that's where I really got the Definitely. Oh, yeah, down. yeah. It's, it's not just that he's confused that this guy is asking about his braid. You see how Michael is topping Jesse Eisenberg from the bottom, as you might say. And the, like he's uh, Jesse Eisenberg's subordinate. But he is using his nativeness to totally dominate Jesse Eisenberg because by asking him this question that is really an inappropriate and weird question to ask, but Jesse Eisenberg doesn't feel equipped (laughs) to respond that way. So he's trying to respond in a sincere way, which only makes him more fumbly and weak and Michael stronger and stronger. And this is something... and I. It's funny, but it's also something that you, you I didn't even really notice the first time because I'm so shocked by the murder. But what happens after the murder is that we see it's the first time we see that that young actor, Phoenix Wilson, all of a sudden is the next time we see him, his bruises are gone. He's walking down the school hallway with a confidence that we hadn't seen before. And something about committing this murder has made him into the strong one in when he was the weak one before. And something about that lesson is being expressed in the Jesse Eisenberg, that he's learned to become, to, to somehow, again, it's the chameleon street trick. He's learned how to somehow take his what would be his uh, handicap in the setting and turn it into a yeah. strength 
by honestly just kind of by his chutzpah and <laughs> sociopathy like the combination of his just audaciousness like that that scene about the braid and his deadness to compassion for anyone <laughs> in his life and then we see we so the, after the scene with Jesse Eisenberg then we go and he, he has this scene with his wife where he just has a very odd relationship to yeah. his child and when she announced when she tells him that she's pregnant you can see him having the sociopath's <laughs> response of oh oh this is a good <laughs> thing okay oh this is the human response. Okay, now I go over and put my arm care. around yeah. you. But <laughs> and then and then then you compare that to the scene with him at a strip club, where he asks the stripper if he can like choke her, and he goes in the back room and basically almost kills her. And you're just getting just window into this this sociopath's life, you know, just sort of this guy who committed this murder as a child who had a horrible childhood, is now kind of like this emotional robot. And clearly he's dealing with this past in a very odd, very disturbing way. Like, it's a really great character, the Makwa slash Michael. And the fact that, like, you would commit this thing and you hide in plain sight, be becoming more successful, more, you know, around people. Like, you're rich now. Like, you're, you're, like, you're, like, you, like, you have meetings with people. You have this beautiful model looking wife. Like, Yeah. And it's really interesting. And then compare that to, then the movie takes you to the other character, Teddo, and what's going on with him at the same time. Uh, played by the like brilliant, what's the first name? Chasky? Chask? Chasky Spencer. Chasky and we should Spencer. also say that uh, Makwa is played by Michael Greyes. Brilliantly. I believe yeah. that's. Yeah. Uh, so now we're following Teddo around, who has had the opposite. So even though he's the one who didn't commit to murder... His life is the most wrecked because he is not a sociopath and he has gone and out of jail dealing with drugs. He's got like face tattoos. He's just a very, very damaged man. And the, and the present day begins with him getting released from jail and going back to the, the hometown, going back to his family, going back to the world. And that part is so good. And he is such a good actor and just kind of going through just like normal stuff for a while just him sort of like living with his sister and trying to connect with his nephew and uh you know where's where's his job gonna be and you're just kind of following around this this guy um and it's it's so good and it's just like such high drama like it was in the best way of just like this is some good reality like good down-to-earth acting where it just feels like you're just really watching this guy's life for like 20 minutes. I read an interview from the director and he was saying he'd worked on the script for like six years. And it started out, it was really just about a guy, a native guy who left the reservation and got a job in California. And a cousin comes out to see him and is really annoying and embarrassing <laughs> to him. And I, at some point it turned into this much, uh, you know, m to this crime drama and I think it's a yeah, I think it's a great evolution. And when you watch this scene, you can sort of when you play out the 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 uh, play the two characters off of each other. And I feel like that, like in a way, like if you started them, if you started making the movie and you're like, OK, I want it to be about Makwa. But at some point, the Teddo character just keeps 
stealing the movie. And I feel like that's what happens here. And it's, it works really well because we're introduced to Makwa's Michael as like everything about him reads, don't be afraid of me. I'm I'm someone you can yeah. trust. I'm yeah. playing golf and talking about my brain with Jesse Eisenberg. But as he as we go deeper into it, and by the time we get to the point with him choking the stripper, we have realized, oh, this guy is dangerous. Whereas with the Teddo character, we're introduced to him and we're we're afraid that he's dangerous. Yep. When I when we're in, when he's introduced to the nephew, there's a point when he gets a car and he goes to take the nephew for a ride. And even watching it the second time, I was like, does he do something really bad to the kid here? <laughs> no, no. They just he totally has he has a heart and he connects with this kid just the kind of the same way that he was connecting with mm-hmm. young Makwa. And you hadn't got to it, but the big end of the first act moment for Makwa is choking mm-hmm. the stripper. The big end of the first rack, first act moment for Teto is going to the mother of the kid they killed. Breaking down. And yeah. breaking down on her porch, try, confessing to her in a moment that, like, as I'm talking about yeah, it, I'm it's getting ama- choked it's up. His, powerful. His, his emotion. It's, it's not only know if it's his best scene, but it is the most just wrenching. Oh, God, what a beautiful, what yeah. a great actor. Yeah. And... What a po- like a, an incredibly powerful moment to end that that first act before we set these two characters up against each other again, meeting each other again, and then what 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 the yeah. fallout is from that, which is when uh, when Teto decides, okay, well after he's made his confession, he's going to come to California to visit, and. Uh, that, does, doesn't that doesn't go, go too, too well. well. And that's <clears throat> when, again, it feels a little bit like a Coen Brothers movie. Like their confrontation to me feels very much like a No Country for Old Men moment or like Miller's Crossing, like that that kind of good noir where there's one gun between two people and like intense emotions between two people in a, sp- in a space where there's no one else. And it's just such an intense scene. There's also a great funny line in that scene where Mock was like, How'd you find me? He's like, I just look for the fakest fucking <laughs> Indian in the world. Because he cannot believe where Michael's at. And like, that's what's so great about following yeah. Teto around after you see where, where Makwa, Makwa is. Because it's like where Teto is is such a compliment of where Makwa went. You know, like it really just like one character describes the, like help balances out the other. You know, like you need to learn how one is to get, get how the other one, like how they both deal with pain and deal with this tragedy of their past. And can you, and you can't help but relate to, I mean, Teto is the one who tried to help at every yeah. point and he has suffered. He's the one who suffered the most. Because the world is wrong. <laughs> the world, very, very, world is very wrong yeah. to Teto. Yeah. The impulse is really not to spoil what happens in this scene, but I don't know how we can talk <laughs> about the movie without saying what happens. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, so, Big time spoiler stop if you haven't seen yeah. this film. Go find it on Stars. Looks like it's on Sling TV, Hulu Premium, Roku Channel. It's there. Find it. Watch it. We're about to uh, rob you of the experience. <laughs> but if you have, but if you're still with yeah. us, uh, yeah, they have this showdown, and Teto pulls a gun on Michael. And shoots him, but not uh, doesn't wounds him, doesn't kill him. 
And again, just the his performance, so intense, the way he almost like it's the kind it's such an actory moment that it should turn me to turn you off. Like he's like, I have a gun and I'm not sure if I'm going to shoot this guy and I want to and I can't. But I I keep walking. She's so grounded in that scene. And then he puts the gun down because he's having a real emotional moment. And Michael takes care of the situation like a sociopath would. He gets the information he needs and then unloads the gun into his old friend. And the next thing we see, he's in the at the police station and his lawyer's there with him. And they're making the case that it was a case of self-defense, which he has a pretty good mm-hmm. case for because Teddo has a criminal mm-hmm. record and... Michael's a good, upstanding, rich guy, citizen, a good Indian. The film, I don't think, ever says that, but the film is saying that constantly. Yeah. In terms of from this point on. And Michael, being a a, a profound sociopath, knows this and is working this system. Yeah. But in all of this, it starts to come out that there's, there is now an investigation in Minnesota. And because of Teddo's confession the police are now looking into michael and the possibility well the fact that he was the mur- the the killer of this kid many years ago and so michael as now we're moving into the the third act of the film he has to go back to minnesota and, and return to this place this haunted place for himself and this is where we get he goes to visit the mother of the kid in the hospital, yeah. the one that Teddo has confessed to. It just meant... <laughs> and this was the scene in the movie. This was the moment in the movie where I was just sort of like, my eyes peeled back, and I was like, okay, yeah, this is everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's an intense scene, because he menaces her and totally tries to gaslight her and just like... Really, it's a, it's like this. Cre- it's like a great performance from from the guy that plays uh, Makwa, Michael Gray is like he. It for the character switch just in that scene, just sort of the dance that character does is so great, and it's it starts with him kind of being like, "I didn't do it. This guy's lying," but then it turns to him being like, "You know, like I like you like you did this actually." Like kind of makes it his the mom's fault, and then kind of reveals that no, he totally did do it, and she shouldn't tell anybody. And it's like the way he does in just the one scene, the way he just changes sort of the story, and like the whole time just trying to convince her and himself in a way of the truth of the situation is so good. <laughs> it's so good, and like yeah, like 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 you said, it's very much like that scene in Bad Lieutenant. It feels very much like. Again, a scene from like a no country old man, just like very like the way he is menacing is so terrifying in the, in the way that his brain is working. Like you're watching his brain work through that scene of how he's trying to figure out how to kind of get out of the situation, how to talk out of this situation or whatever is so it's 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 really intense. Yeah. <laughs> and he has that line about how. All the good Indians died fighting we're the descendants of cowards and you know it's like it is such a noir statement that like as a as a jewish person who knows like the survivor guilt 
recording of like, oh, well, the the ones who survived the Holocaust were the ones who got out. And there's there's that same kind of feeling of like, no, on one hand, you want to have pride in the heroic thing of surviving. And another part of you has this recording that he gave voice to in the that the the director gave voice to and this actor gave voice to in the scene and i had just never seen that or thought of that in the context of native americans because usually in film there's it feels like the film is either being stupidly racist to native american characters or being sort of uh Sort of like that, like the the magical Negro trope, but like the, with the magical Native American, the 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 wise, grounded, earth speaking shaman type, and just the the I'd never seen the nihilistic, the bleak nihilistic, uh, Native character in film like this before. And that scene and that monologue was just what catapulted it. That was the moment where I was just like, oh, I'm seeing something that is not, that is not even like to even call it a native noir as I started, as I did is almost, it's just, just a noir film. It's a great noir film, but it is so steeped in that culture that it is. But what's great about it is in that scene, it stopped when it was at its most that it stopped being that and stopped started being very specifically a story about the nihilism of survival. Uh, yes. Yeah. It was so rich. <clears throat> and so I found rich. it really cool and surprising that in this, this third act, he doesn't go to visit. Like you expect it to kind of have that scene where he's going to go visit like the guy who beat him up as a kid or his mom or whatever, and like show them that he's better now or what you're stick it to them. Cause I feel that scene would always be in a movie like this when someone leaves town cause of something bad and come, then comes back. Mm-hmm. But that never happens. He never, he really just does go to this town to deal with this problem, make the problem go away and then leaves. <laughs> There's no monkeying around. There's no like, Oh, I'm going to go visit the, the spot of like, I think he visits a, like there's a part where it looks like he's visiting a, a, a grave or he's in the woods or you think he's visiting something, but then he's just, he's talking on his phone. Like there was a moment where I was like, Oh, is he like going to where the kid was buried or he's like walking on leaves, but then he's just like talking on his phone to like the lawyer or whatever. And he's just trying to like, or his wife. I don't remember. There's a moment where I thought it was going to be the moment, but he's just on his cell phone talking. Um. Yeah. There's a, the, and well, and then we, the way we see him get off from the crime and the way that the cop who was investigating him reveals all of his prejudices about the reservation and the people on the reservation in like, as with Ted, Tedo as an example of that, it's like, oh, well, you know, they're, they're saying, oh, well, that kid, you know, it was probably suicide. That's usually what happens to when people die on yeah. the res. They're just they're they're inclined to. And it's like you see this see you see uh, Michael getting off because of the prejudice of this white guy once again, in that chameleon street way, <laughs> using the prejudice yeah. <laughs> to and, uh, to build himself up. And he doesn't even act emotional to that statement. His lawyer does. His lawyer's just like, oh, geez. Like his white lawyer is just like, oh, God. Oh, I'm so, so sad, yeah. you know, to think about that. Uh, it only affects him emotionally. <laughs> and I found that an interesting 
moment too to kind of like thematically talk about kind of the final part of the movie, like not quite the last act, but like the the last part, the conclusion. Like because they talk about like yeah, a lot of these people will leave the reservation and they'll go somewhere and they'll commit suicide, and then in a way, I feel like that's kind of what Makwa did when he went to California yeah. Yeah, thematically, like you changed your name, like Makwa doesn't exist anymore. Now you're this rich guy named Michael. And like, maybe you have your little braid or whatever, but you're mostly living this sort of like white person life, like this, you know, like this rich white corporate world and you killed all your emotions. And so you did commit suicide. <laughs> you did leave and do that. You did exactly that. And when he has the one moment that he could have connection, when he sees Teddo's sister, after he leaves the police station, he's, he's about to go. He sees Teddo's yeah. sister. And nothing. <laughs> just turns away. Nothing. He is yeah. a, like, he is a cold, total cold. nihilistic. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Go on. And then you, it's just, it's kind of the way the movie wraps up is not exactly how you think it's going to wrap up either. Cause you think maybe he has, maybe there's some feeling in him of 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 all this and then but then he kind of seems like oh maybe not he went back to work he's just talking to his wife about you know it's it, but then there's this great part when he's like i want to show you my my bullet wound it's like it's kind of cool like it's healing up it's fine like it's great and then he shows it to to um kate bosworth and she looks at it and she has a really big reaction that she wasn't that neither of them were expecting like oh god oh that's terrible and then he's kind of like you're right. That is really terrible, <laughs> and has a, a kind of like the only emotion you've seen from him in the whole movie since the beginning. You know, where he actually has a reaction to that. Like he kind of, in a way, understands that. Like, yeah, this is like you're not entirely a robot, I guess. <clears throat> uh, that part was powerful, and that's when we come back to the wraparound. We're back now. We're back with the Ojibwe man. With the smallpox, now in a tent with it seems like uh, a, a, a a woman, a native woman who's there with him, and maybe he's dying. We don't really know. It, it's very mysterious in terms of what's going on with the Ojibwe man, and it gives the film this context that is so uh, just zooming, like seems like just zooming back in time and space. So it puts everything else that we've seen into this archetypal relief. Uh, and then we cut to, I think, also one of the most powerful, like it really builds to a, a truly powerful shot, some final moment in the film, where we see Makwa, he's just walk, walking out to this beach, and he's just looking at the beach, and he falters for a moment, and as if he's been as he as if he his character feels the impact of everything everything not just his story but the the Ojibwe man's story like everything and in that it, it it feels like that's my experience that's the experience i need as an audience member and it, the way it's portrayed is just a one wide shot from the back we don't see his face we don't have a big emotional moment we just have this flinch and he's been so solid and so stoic ever since he killed that kid that that flinch is so powerful to me 
Did you notice that as well? No, I didn't notice the flinch, but the ending is powerful. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, well, there's, there's, there's a few things we, I guess we don't need to mention everything. There, are, There's even more in this film that we, that we, there's this, there's this bullet he's been carrying around that's a part of this whole, part of his whole, uh, Michael's whole, I don't know, psychological makeup. Yeah, just a, an incredibly potent film. When did you, when you were watching it, do you know the moment that it really just came alive for you? Or would, would, when you were watching it, would, were you right in? I think it wasn't or? from the beginning because I'm kind of like watching it going, okay, okay, like this tough life in the past and I'm waiting for like what's going to happen. And I think it was, it really was that like the way Makwa is Michael in that those, in those first moments of those very chameleon street type moments in the present day. And I was like, oh, oh, wow. Okay. Because I just thought from the beginning, it seemed like I was just going to be up with these kids dealing with this thing. But then to go that far ahead and kind of that going from him in this kind of satirical kind of part of him, kind of how he's changed in contrasting it with Tedo's. Uh, but like that whole middle, that second act is when I was like, oh, this movie's great. Like I totally get, I get what this movie's doing and I'm really into it now. And I'm really caught up in it emotionally. And I was until the very end. Um and just like the, like this, the, the turning it into a, a character study about this sociopath and this other guy who's had this hard life. Because like the way the movie deals with sort of the pain of the past and how it affects the present is just it's really good. And I really liked how simple in a way the movie is. Like it's not a very long movie. I think it is just like ninety minutes <clears throat> around there. Uh, there's no fat. Mm-hmm. The movie, there's no wasted stuff. Like everything in this movie works for the theme. It all works together. But it's not the type of movie where everyone's speaking exposition all the time. Like it really is like you're just in these moments with these characters and it's building to sort of these these big themes and these big ideas. And I just, I just think it's a very well-made, tightly made movie. And I just hope... Even though this movie stupidly didn't get any acclaim or attention, like this is this is like the problem with Hollywood is they always want to try so hard to be making movies like Wild Indian or wanting to make it or saying they like they want to do more and be more inclusive and do all this stuff. And then when someone does make it, they don't embrace it. It goes nowhere. <laughs> no one's saying anything about like this should be up for Oscars. This is why this is an Oscar thing. Like this movie. There's no other movie like this movie. Is there? I've never seen a movie like this movie. Like, what other movie is close to this? I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> like who? Like, what movies are made by Native Americans that are like this, and this kind of story, and this way to tell the hit on themes that maybe have been talked about in other movies about those people before, but in this way and kind of using genre to to to, to kind of push your ideas forward, which is so much more interesting than just sort of like an Oscar-y drama. Just like, just making it kind of in this world of noir and, and a little bit of mystery. And like, that's just, it's just, it's just so good. And it's just dumb that nobody knows about this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> like there's not a lot of <laughs> wild Indian and dinner in America to how are these, how are people going to find these yeah, films? Like they're like at least wild Indians on stars, but stars isn't like promoting it. It was never like pushed. And like, this isn't on a lot of people's, I, I haven't seen this on anyone's best of lists. It like, I haven't seen it winning any, uh, awards. 
you know, I'm just like looking to see like, did it win anything at any, I mean, granted it came out in this weird pandemic time, but, uh, like it won, uh, it was nominated for film independent spirit awards and that's cool. Screenplay, first feature, supporting male for uh, Spencer, and best male lead for Greyes. Um, so that's cool, and it's up was up for a Gotham Award for outstanding lead, and then a bunch of film festivals. It won the only award it won, Palm Springs International Film Festival, directors to watch to for Lyle Mitchell Corbin Jr. So that's. Good on you, Palm Springs International Film Festival, for actually recognizing some, some like something of high quality, like this. Um, uh, if if she still works there, the woman who, when I was very young, was my first kiss, <laughs> is one of the programmers <laughs> at Palm Springs International Film Festival. So yeah. good job. <laughs> And this, and, <laughs> and this movie played at Sundance last year and it was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize, but like it didn't get the hype out of Sundance as other movies did, I guess. And at the same thing with uh, Dinner America that also came out of Sundance with a lot of like, okay, maybe at the time people liked it who watched it there at the festival, but it came out because it's in that way. It's that Chameleon Street thing of like, oh, we can't figure out how these people can make like marvel movies so we're not gonna like hold them up and invite them to hollywood and throw this big party for them <laughs> they're gonna all have to work really hard again for their second movie just as they did for their first movie this is just the plight of like actual good filmmakers <laughs> that have something different and interesting to say and like and it's not that this movie doesn't even have famous people in it it has kate bosworth and jesse eisenberg in there so those are people that people know and they could have used them kind of how you know, red box movies with Bruce Willis use the five minutes of whatever movies in that movie to make it seem like he's in it. You could have thrown them on the poster, try to get people to kind of get this movie to see it. Well, their names are on the, I know, poster. but they're, I they're pictures. Are, I don't know. Their but I mean, that is how people will sell movies. They didn't even try to do yeah, that. Like if true. they do anything to try to get this movie out there because it's, it's fucking great. It's really, really good. And uh, and now that we've, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's no being the Ricardos. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what? In though that's a movie people are gonna forget about pretty quickly. Like the world has already forgotten about the last Sorkin movie. Whereas I feel this could be something that can sneak up. I think like this movie and Dinner in America are cool enough and edgy enough and outsider enough that like it can have a slow build that like I could totally see like in 20 years, someone programming <clears throat> like something at a theater, sort of like where I work and be like, here's a touchstone of a type of movie that like, if you're doing like a noir thing or something like this is one that's very stands out as a unique experience, a unique movie. Um, I want to see more from Lyle Mitchell Corbine jr. It's a long name and a short filmography. <laughs> and I want to see this guy make, a lot of stuff because this is like for a first feature this is amazing like it's so confidently yeah. made like this is like this doesn't feel like the first time out like there's no fumbling in this this is a solid solid movie yeah you know you said that this, there's no there's nothing wasted in this yeah. movie and at the same time 
there are some very slow moments where things are just allowed to happen. Like you said, that we don't have a lot of characters telling us what's going on. It shows us. Um, this it's the dial when there's dialogue in this film it's great but it's so much of it is just behavior in silent moments that draws us into these characters Uh, and within that there is that sense of nothing wasted and I I don't know if I said this but I don't think I did I was just thinking of it was when you watch the film the first time when the crime, when the murder happens, it seems like did you almost miss it because it happens so it's so perfunctory in the way it's uh, it's shown. But you watch it the second time, the whole first part of the movie, you're just on pins and needles because you're like, oh, shit, <laughs> this is coming. Oh God! Oh no! I remember this is coming. Oh no! Like I, yeah. like it is. It's a whole other emotional experience with this movie. I really recommend it. It really does open up. On a I will. Watch. Yeah, I will totally watch this movie uh, again. This is a movie that I feel would be rewarded with repeat viewings. Like the more you're going back and knowing sort of what is behind everything and what's going to happen, and like how the movie plays out. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's a really. I now now that we've done this episode, I regret not giving this movie an Oscar. This should have been on my list. <laughs> this should have been. I think it was just too fresh in my mind. But this is hands down one of the best movies of last year, uh, across the board. It's really really good. Um, yeah. Okay, that doesn't quite get it into bad trip territory, <laughs> but it does bring it up to a net territory. So that's good. And who knows, if we had shown this film to Jen and AJ, yeah. well, they might have also put am, it on their list. And that, that's Out of all the Oscar movies, this is the one that I'm going to be taking out to recommend to people. I feel this one needs the biggest push. And it's funny, I last night, there's the first person I told at work, I was like, oh, I watched this movie Wild Indian. It's so great. It's sort of like a Native American noir. And his response was, is it as good as Thunderheart? <laughs> and I'm like, well... <laughs> That also a great movie. We also <laughs> covered this on our show, so we're on the right track. <laughs> this movie. Um, I would, but to, to answer that question, it is the cinem- like the, the cinematic achievement of Thunderheart Incident at Oglala is more impressive, but this is better than I agree. I, I agree. As a movie, it is. <laughs> Hands yeah. down, it is not to not not to knock Thunderheart. Things, great yeah. movie, I love it. You love it. Great, but this movie is like truly but, like there's something really important about this. It's really strong about this movie. That's a great filmmaker telling an important story, but it's not a unique voice. This is a unique voice from a filmmaker that we need to hear more from. Yeah, I would like to see. This filmmaker remake Thunderheart, although I wouldn't put it put that on him. I'd like to see this filmmaker just keep making films that challenge our idea of what Native American cinema is. And and maybe that it maybe it's just to be ex- expected that a film like this is going to be a slow burn because it is blazing new territory. Yeah. Yeah. Which probably when I actually as soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm thinking Blazing new territory is probably a metaphor that is not great to use uh, in the in the 
context of the European invasion of the <laughs> North Americas yes. and the terror it's wrought. So let's just say it is, it's an exciting new voice in film and one that, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad to hear. You talk to a lot more people about movies. So I make the case to you so that you can make the case to the world. Yep, and I am, and I will, will spread the word. Radio 8 Andros here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8 Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tignataro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. One dream, one wish, one piece of mind. A podcast hosted by Nico White about One Piece by Acherio Oda on Paperhouse Network. We'll see you every Monday. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. I'm pretty excited about what we're going to be talking about next week. Another film uh, well it's pretty much all we do is talk about films <laughs> that the world is wrong about that people should know more about that we're excited that we're excited about and inspired by but one that i've been trying to get us to do for a while it's finally here we're doing our episode about up against amanda Woo! oh man <laughs> that's a movie <laughs> that is a kind of movie <laughs> different kind of movie than wild indian Different kind of movie than Dinner in America. Different than any kind of movie you've ever seen. It's a sneaky, it's a sneaky movie. You gotta watch out. Up Against Amanda is gonna be sneaking up behind you. And before you know it, it's there. <laughs> I'm so excited for this episode. You can find it where so many of the movies we cover can be found on Tubi. <laughs> and... We're going to be joined by my good friend and sometimes collaborator, Justin Freet, who turned me on yeah. to this film. And then uh, and then I turned you on to it, Brian. It now haunts us in a way that is uh, inexplicable unless you've seen it. And then we're going to next week, we're going to try and explain it. <laughs> Explain it. I know. We're going to be trying to exp trying to get to the bottom of what it is about this film that is so I don't know hypnotic and intoxicating, despite yeah. itself yeah. or despite the the production uh, hurdles it must have faced. <laughs> See it 
I don't know if we can ruin it with spoilers, but you really won't appreciate our episode unless you watch and it. And stick with and, it. Uh, like you don't want you want to fight it. Just let it take over. Let it let it wash over yeah, you. Give it at least 15 More, 20 give minutes. Give it at least 90 before. minutes. Just, <laughs> no, just here's the thing. If you can just get through the credits, you'll be good. <laughs> Which is like 30 minutes. No. Um uh but yes, yes, check it out. It's uh, it's a fantastic, weird, wonderful film. I have been in touch with the Ooh. director, uh, Michael Ritzy, and he has responded. We don't know, but we may have a conversation wow. with him about this and his life in film, which just seems yeah. his his own personal trail as a filmmaker is just as weird and compelling as this film. So exciting. Uh, so we may have sniffed out a hidden auteur to for our for our listeners and supporters here at the world is wrong. So get ready for that. And uh, we don't we don't talk as much about the director's wall as we we used to. Every, you know, we used to do it every week. But uh, where what are we are what are we up to? Are we going to be getting uh, Rocky three soon? <laughs> Rocky three. <laughs> No. Oh yeah, Godfather. Uh, yeah, 3, Godfather sorry. three uh, already out. While when this is out, uh, we are working on a Bram Stoker's Dracula. So we're 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 in the nineties now. We're 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 in kind of we're getting close to the end, and then we got to pick a new director. We're only got like five movies left. So yeah. Wait a second. Uh, wait, just now, just to be clear. So I don't. Is there? When this comes out, Godfather 3 is going to be out, but Godfather 3 isn't already out yet for you and me. I shouldn't have, have I, if I, did no, I it's not out yet, uh, but it's out when this oh, okay. is airing. Like it's not out. It's going to come out in like got it, got it. two days. Like we recorded it. So it'll be out by the weekend that we are recording this, which is not when this is now airing. So, <laughs> okay. Just, I didn't mean to get people confused. It's just, I felt like, did I no, miss out? No, it's like, not, it's, it's a long else? episode. It's as long as the movie. So AJ's taking some time to cut out all the hums and haws. So, well, yeah. that's how much, that's how much I, I, I treasure the director's wall. And if I feel like I missed an episode, <laughs> I feel like there's something truly amiss in my yeah. life. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about aliens three. No, Godfather uh, 3. Oh, sorry. Nightmare on Elm Street 3. That's what no. it is. No. Uh, Godfather yeah. 3. Okay. I, did, did, uh, hey, just, you don't need to ruin it, but did you, are you pro Godfather 3? I, we, we both are pro Godfather 3. Excellent. Oh, I can't wait yeah. to hear this. No. I watched it four times in the last month, so I'm deep into that movie and deep into my love of that movie. So, yeah. Uh, okay. One more question. <laughs> what's the what's the biggest surprise world is wrong aspect of like one thing you don't want to give away the whole episode but just as a teaser for our listeners just looking at the hate that Sofia Coppola got in that movie in a different way very much kind of in a way of how we talked about the Sinead O'Connor in our episode just sort of like she was you she was sacrificed unjustly and uh, drug through the mud, and we are defending her in the in the episode when most people wanted to take her down for that movie. 
Oh, and speaking of Sofia Coppola, while we're giving her some love, <laughs> in the interview that I read with Lyle Mitchell Corbine Jr., he said that the film that was his cinematic awakening was lost in translation. The film that made him really oh. realize what a film could be. So that's a, that's great. Uh, great movie. Yeah. Uh, a different tone than Wild Indian. <laughs> Not the same type of world, but but also a, a but a strong film language about like that it, that has patience for quiet moments for yeah. behavior that yeah. is willing to just sort of stay with its characters and let them reveal themselves. Yeah. I think that's a, a lot of filmmakers are into that these days. Yeah, I'm well, into it. Yeah, it's cheaper. Uh, <laughs> It's cheaper just have everyone do things in one scene and you just shoot that. And then instead of having yeah. to do all these extra takes. And, exactly. You know, they, who needs editors? Come on. Uh, the yeah, I mean, artists. the Oscars, yeah, they don't need it. <laughs> They're done with them. Sorry. I'm just I'm kidding, folks. I know. The only reason I, I have an antipathy towards editors is they've just ruined so many of my performances. Ouch! Damn! Could you stop putting your foot in your mouth, Andras? You count on these people. Uh <laughs> Anyway, no, editors are great. We love you. We love you. I'm an editor. I, I have to edit this stuff. I know how hard it is. Yeah. 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 I feel your pain. And you make me look good, so thank you. It's easy to make you look good, Brian. <laughs> uh, you make me sound good every time you laugh at something I say that's not funny. And people in the audience are just like, why do I think Andras is funny? I can't think of one funny thing he's ever said. Well, that's it. <laughs> Brian's pulling yeah. the uh, <laughs> pulling the same trick that uh, our Oscar yeah. nominee uh, uh, David Nell as Chef Finway and Pig <laughs> delivered. So yeah, yeah. So, enough, enough of us patting ourselves <laughs> on the back. Uh, it's time for you to pat us on the back. Send us a complimentary email to contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also send a critical email or a questioning email, but. Considering that we don't get any, why don't I, I why, it'd be great if the ones we don't get are complimentary uh, or complimentary. I don't know why I pronounced it that way. Uh, you can also find an, a page about every one of our episodes on our website at www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can reach out to us or just check us out and stalk us on Instagram at the world is wrong podcast and on Twitter at world is wrong pod. Get ready, get up to speed, watch up against Amanda and uh, prepare for our celebration of that film. <laughs> and until next time, Brian, uh, you know how it is living in this world. Yeah. Uh, Wherever we are, the world is wrong, and it's almost always wrong about us and you, all of our listeners. That's what I mean, us. We're all wrong, even though we're not. Yep. How's your day off? Got in a round of golf. Yeah, that's good. How'd you shoot? 74. Uh, so listen, we're gearing up to finalize the Vela numbers, and I realized I hadn't heard back from audit. Yeah, I haven't yet. been able to think with this on my mind. Can I get your opinion on something? Yes, of course. Yeah, anything. As a friend, no judgment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we're friends. Is this getting too long? Oh, I, I, uh, I don't know. How does it feel? Feels long. Oh, so cut it. Start my brand around here. 
<laughs> yes, you're right. It does. Uh, it checks all the right boxes. Exactly. Yeah. But is it too long, though? You know, I. Uh, it seems like the appropriate length for that style of hair. I don't know. I don't know. Listen, so, so the Velo deadline is uh, Monday. I got Morgan and Vic working on it, but they're working from home. They're a little behind. I think I'll trim it. Okay. Good talk. For, yeah, it was. Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform.